0: Well, good morning, cross Point downtown. It is my privilege to be with you this morning. I uh, am honored to be here, and uh, I have to say that I have um, great, fond memories and really enjoy your pastor um, to kind of give you a, a basic understanding my my family and i we moved recently about two and a half years ago or so from Arizona to Orlando to move into this new role. I previously moved into Orlando and accepted a job as executive director of church planning for Converge. I was a church planter as a pastor in Arizona since 2004. And one of the very first people we ever met was Ryan Walker. And uh, as you if you know, Ryan, um, I after a few minutes of just a quick conversation with him, I'm like, I like this guy. You know, and, and I felt like I had known him my entire life, and uh, it's my privilege to really be able to call him a friend. And I can tell you, over the, the last couple of years of just watching him, getting to know him, having conversations with him, um, that Ryan is a man that pursues the heart of God. Um, also, Ryan is a guy that loves his family dearly, and he loves you. And it really is a privilege to be here and to to call him a friend. As we begin, would you just join me? I'm going to pray for us real quick, and we'll dive in this morning. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, your love, your peace, your faithfulness. That you're a God that doesn't change in a world around us that is changing all the time. Lord, I, I pray that that truth will ring true in our lives even this week as we face challenges, as we face change, that we would draw our strength from you. In you alone, in your mighty name, amen. Have you ever found yourself in one of those moments in life where you're just, it's like life slows down or maybe even hits the pause button or it's moving in slow motion and you just find yourself going, huh? Like, how did we get here? Or how in the world did this happen? My my wife, Melissa, and I, we've been married, this may be 15 years, and I can't tell you how many times that we've turned to each other and kind of go, didn't see that one. You know, I, like, how in the world? We, we never thought we'd be East Coasters. And here, here we are, you know, and uh, especially as parents, you know, uh, uh, those that are parents here, you know that you watch your kids and you find yourself at moments going, where did the time go? How in the world does, does this happen? Um, I, I'm going to introduce you to my kids real quick. I have a, uh, a son who's 10 and a half and a daughter that is seven and, uh, they, uh, they're all into sports, they both don't like school, um, they love the beach, they love having and hanging out with their friends, um, this is our most recent addition to our family there as well that they're both holding, so, which is another thing that in my life I've had to kind of go, huh, because I'm not a cat person. Um, cats have been traditionally the butt of all my jokes, you know, and, uh, I'm more of a dog person. I've always thought dogs will be in heaven. Cats won't. You know, they're they're going to go the other place. Um, and my wife somehow, along with my kids, corralled me into bringing home this rescue cat just two weeks ago. Um, this was taken just a couple days ago, and it was like, my cat is out to prove me that this cat, I believe, is the first cat that's actually going to go to heaven, because there it is, I caught him sitting there in the Bible, and looking at the Bible, and uh, enjoying himself, but the, the thing that makes it even more of a challenge for me is, I'm also allergic to cats, and so not only, do I'm not really a big fan of cats, I'm also allergic to cats, and now I have a cat in my family. So it's again, it's one of those moments you sit there and go, huh, <laughs> I have no answers. I don't know how in the world we, we got here. Um, those moments in life that we all have them, sometimes they're humorous. Um, sometimes they're in the form of a, a crisis or they show up in our life in pain. And sometimes when it's on the more of the negative end of things, they can even lead us to moments where it may cause us a crisis of our own personal faith or belief system. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe something happened in your life this week that challenged you. Maybe it brought a level of pain and you're looking for hope or you're looking for answers. And that's you. You walked in the doors today hoping that maybe you'd hear something that would help you in the midst of that. If, if that's you, I, I want to say, first of all, Welcome. You're among people that are all facing the same challenges. And we're glad you're here. I know you've been walking through a series through the book of Hebrews, and really one of the strong themes in Hebrews is, is faith. What is faith? How do we live out faith? We look at examples of how faith has been done around us as, as well. Hebrews 11.6 talks about that without faith, it's actually impossible for any of us to please God. Which means that faith really is important. It's something that we, not, we must learn to understand. We must learn how to implement in our lives. It must become a driver to our lives because without it, we really are not being able to connect with the heart of God. Faith, in other words, is God's love language. And so it's important for us in a way to learn how to speak it. But what do you do in those moments where your heart or your feelings, they don't match up with the things that you know to be true. You know, maybe the things up here. It usually, when that happens, when we face those moments in life, it shows up in our lives in terms of frustration, confusion. It, it can create doubt in our lives. I think that's exactly one of the things that we're going to find in this passage that we're taking a look at today in Matthew chapter 11. So we're hitting the pause button on Hebrews. As we've been walking through, taking a look at faith, I want us to explore a a deeper level and understanding of what do we do in those moments if we're trying to live by faith, but things don't seem to operate the way that we think they should. You see, in Matthew chapter 11, we get... Reintroduced to John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. And he finds himself in a really challenging predicament right here. Let's take again, let's take a gander at this. Going back to verse 2, he says, Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one? So he's sending them back to Jesus, going, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In other words, he's going, are you, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that the Old Testament has talked about and prophesied about? Are you the one that we're waiting expectantly? you got to remember, John the Baptist, as the cousin of Jesus, he's described as being the forerunner of Jesus. The one, in other words, who is announcing the coming that the Messiah is here. I mean, he says throughout the Scripture, we read these in the Gospels, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He's the one who said, he must increase, I must decrease. John had already known Jesus, already pointed people to Christ. He was the one that baptized him. He affirmed that he believed in Christ, but there were certain things that caused him to doubt. So he, in this moment, he sends to to say, is this the Messiah? Or are we looking for someone else? What we get a glimpse here is the perplexity of John's doubt. Even though he has already affirmed his belief and had known about Jesus, there is confusion that begins to set in a major factor that has a way of producing doubt is just difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances tend to make us doubt. Humanly speaking, when you look at the career of John the Baptist, it kind of ended in disaster when you just look at it from our perspective. John was fiery. He was dramatic. He was a dynamic, confrontive, bold, courageous man who preached exactly what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be said, no matter who the audience was in that moment. And he seemed to do it without fear. He was bold. He had a power. He had an aggressiveness. When he saw sin, he rebuked it. In person, when he even saw it. And in a result, that's why he is in prison, and that's why we read what we do in Matthew chapter 11. There was a man named Herod Antipas, and he's the ruler of Galilee. See, Herod had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. When Herod went to see his brother, he kind of took a liking to his brother's wife. And so he seduced her. When he returned home, he proceeded to divorce his own wife, and then he went about stealing his brother's wife and made her his new wife. John the Baptist heard about this. And you know what he did? He didn't write an anonymous article and try to get it published in the local newspaper. John the Baptist, he went into public view, and in the very face of Herod Antipas, told him that he was rotten, told him that he was a vile sinner, that he was an adulterer, and that he gave this entire thing, delivered this line straight to his face. Well, you can imagine, it didn't go over so well. And so Herod, infuriated that somebody would stand up to him, has John thrown into prison. Now, he most likely would have, in that moment, wanted to kill John, But he knew that there would be a major uprising among the people that were devoted to John and his teachings because many of the population considered John to be a prophet. And so he knew, like, I'm going to have a very unruly kingdom if I just in the moment kill John. And so he has him thrown in prison. And it's not just any prison. If you go five miles east of the northern tip of the Dead Sea, 15 miles south was an old Herodian palace that had been turned into a fortress. His name is Machiris. In the bottom of it, it's a pit. It's a dark, stifling, stuffy, hot dungeon in the middle of a very bleak desert. That's where John was placed. And many scholars believe that he was in that spot for up to 18 months. John had been in the limelight, he was a free spirit living in the wilderness, preaching, teaching, proclaiming good news. The whole country was coming to him, and he was in the middle of all of this. The crowds, the excitement were there. But now, for over a year, he had been in the blackness of a stifling pit with the hope of trying to get a little bit of fresh air. You see, doubt comes from our inability to deal with negative circumstances. Trials crisis have a way creeping in. And when they creep in, we find our moments in these moments saying, you're the God of all comfort. You're the Christ Christ that cares. Why in the world am I going through this? It doesn't add up. God, I've been faithful. I mean, John must have thought And replayed back through Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. There we find it says that when the Messiah comes, he would free the prisoners and set loose the captives. And he's sitting there going, what in the world is going on here? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Isn't there a place of blessedness for such a faithful man as I have been? Have you ever been there? Sometimes there's a wavering and agonizing doubt in our hearts, even among God's best servants. I know I've been there. Just this past December, my wife and I traveled to Joplin, Missouri, with the hopes that we would bring home a child through the process of adoption. We've been in the process now a little over two years praying, seeking. We had a failed adoption last May. We we're excited. We begin to walk with this mom. The birth mom was so excited about being able to place her child in our family and actually requested my wife to show up and be in the delivery room during the time that this baby is delivered. And we just thought, this is such an incredible opportunity. What an opportunity that we get to be a part of this at that level. We get to have a relationship with the birth mom. We we get to, you know, my wife gets to experience this, can talk about it from the very beginning. And we just felt like she needed to get out there. This is just too good of an opportunity. And so we put my wife on a plane. She'd never been to Missouri in her life, let alone Joplin. And she lands there and is trying to figure it out. And she meets the birth mom in person. And, and five days later, the baby's finally born. She calls me up. It was a Sunday morning, bright and early. It was like three in the morning. She goes, "Baby's here. Get here." I call friends, family, and like put my kids in the back room, and like you know, just take care of them. And I jump on a plane and go to be with my wife, and I get to Joplin as quick as I can, and and get to to meet this child. One of the most incredible experiences I've ever been a part of. My wife spent the first two nights in the the waiting room with that mom, taking care of her, taking care of the baby. She changed every diaper, did every feeding. And in the 11th hour, it all fell apart. And she decided she didn't want a place. And we, we began in that moment to replay everything and all the conversations that we had already been a part of. And there's a moment where you sit there and go, God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem to be a part of the plan that you've asked us to be a part of. It was supposed to have a different ending, God. Frustration was very real. Doubt was very real. As we drove away from the hospital with an empty car seat and a suitcase full of clothes. In those moments, we have a decision to make. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to find the answers? You see, I believe crisis provides us an opportunity to discover who we really are. But hear this more importantly, crisis provides us an opportunity to know who God is. Our response to crisis really is the greatest barometer of the state of our spiritual health and our spiritual strength. Let me say that again. I think it's so important for us to to grab a hold of this truth. Our response to crisis is the greatest barometer of our true spiritual health and strength. See, no matter how much we don't like it, God uses crisis in our lives to build our character. The greatest test, really, of a person is to discover what is the thing or what, what does it take to get me off track through discouragement or distraction. The greatest news is that Jesus takes time to answer John's question and really, I believe, to calm his doubts. Let's pick back up in verse 4. He says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you've heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's easy to lose heart. I think Jesus' answer gives credit to the pressures that you, what you and I feel in the world every single day as we kind of walk through it. The world that we call our temporary home. We've seen all these things play out around us. You've seen it in your life. You've watched friends. You've watched family people. Have moments of crisis, moments of challenge that may have even caused them to walk away from the faith. There's no doubt that these are temptations. These temptations are from the evil one. It arises sometimes as perhaps as it does in John the Baptist's life, partly due to physical causes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, Paul, a man who was no stranger to hardship. If you know anything about Paul's story, Paul's been shipwrecked, he's been imprisoned, he's gone hungry, he's been stoned, and Paul actually gives us a glimpse into how you and I, how we can walk through this life, fulfill the, the call that God has placed upon us, And not lose heart in the midst of it. Let me take a look at this. It's going to come up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me start in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction. If you have your Bibles out Just underline that. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, Paul begins right here in verse 16 by claiming, he goes, I have found... The secret of an experience that really virtually everyone in the world wants to have. The claim here that he is referring to is that he has the experience of not losing heart. I believe every single person wants this attribute. I mean, did anybody come here today going, man, I hope to hear a sermon that totally discourages me. No! I mean, nobody woke up this morning and going, man, I really hope I have an experience that I totally lose heart today. None of us walk through our day with that as the expectation for what we hope to experience. Nobody came here with the hope of being discouraged or totally have all motivation for life stripped away. So if this is true, This is not only a message that we all need to pay attention to, but our friends need to hear this. Our neighbors need to know this. Our community needs to embrace this. We all need to hear this message. Paul helps us to see the reality of our current existence when in verse 16 he says, though our outer self is actually wasting away, for those that are in the room that are over 40, have you noticed that your body doesn't seem to do the things that it used to be able to do? I mean, it's like, I may work out twice as hard now as before, and I get 50% of the benefit of what I used to get. You know, I, I might be able to do some of the things I used to be able to do when I was 22, but it comes at a much greater cost than it did back then. See, what Paul is referring to is just life. We're wasting away. But we will not be the same person that we were when we were 15, 18, 25, as we kind of age through life. The destruction of our bodies, as Paul mentions in verse 16, he talks about it actually comes from two different sources. It says it comes from fallen nature and by fallen men. By fallen nature, I mean that the whole natural world is kind of under God's curse of futility, of corruption, pain, death. We get a description of that very thing in Romans chapter 8, verses 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. God saves his children, it seems to be through stages. It doesn't all happen at once. Yeah, we're, we're forgiven. Theologically, we talk about the fact that we are justified, or in other words, when we embrace a relationship with Jesus and we accept what he's done for us on the cross, that we are now justified. Our relationship is now made right with him because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. But we're not totally made free from the corruption of the world that exists around us, that we call a temporary home. Death still hurts. Death still stings. We will and we are still wasting away. And we will all die. It will happen from age, cancer, a flood, fill in the blank. But last time I checked, 100% of all humans die. The other destruction we face is fallen men. Paul is talking about, well, if if nature doesn't kill you, people will. So whether or not it's fallen nature or whether or not it's fallen people, Paul is actually helping us to, each and every one of us, to understand we are all being struck down. We are all wasting away. We are all dying, and it is precisely in this situation, and probably worse than any of us might experience in our lifetime, Paul experienced the secret of not losing heart. But being renewed day by day. Which leaves us one last thing to mention about verse 16. That the experience of not losing heart is something that fades. It's something that we actually have to pay attention to. And it has to be renewed on a daily basis. We can't skip too quickly over verse 16. Though the world and ourselves are wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is a continual battle that we have to engage Every single morning that you and I, we wake up. I want you to think about this as your morning coffee. For those that are coffee drinkers, you probably, you know, the day doesn't start until you get through that cup of coffee because that's what really rejuvenates you. You know, it's like, all right, now I can take on the day as I go out. And so if you're a coffee drinker, whatever it is, if you drink Monster in the morning to get yourself going, whatever it is, every time now that you think about that, what I want you to think about is what are you also doing to renew... Your relationship with God and your faith every single day. It means that this has to be refreshing. This has to be rejuvenating. It means that this renewing drink that you drank down to keep you from losing heart, it is something that you have to take every single morning that you get up. And the next morning or the next afternoon or the next evening, the idea of renewal means something is running out. Your bucket is leaking. Turn to your neighbor and go, you're leaking. Take a moment to do that. You're leaking. I'm leaking. We're all leaking. That's why we have to pay attention to this. This is something that needs to to take attention each and every single day as we walk through life. We have to be careful here. Because when life gets tough and the odds are stacked against us, it's in those moments that we can easily become desensitized and oftentimes disillusioned. I believe when disillusionment begins to permeate our minds and the way in which we think and engages our hearts, we actually then begin to walk through life with a distorted view of God. Which ultimately produces a distorted response to God, which leads to a distorted approach to life. That's the point that Paul is trying to help us see here. And in verse 17 and 18, he goes, don't lose heart. Don't forget who God is in his overwhelming love and his overwhelming grace. Look at these things. Look at these future unseen Glorious things that we know are to come. Think about them. Set your mind on them. Meditate them. Memorize them. Preach these things to yourself. Keep your eyes focused there, not on what you see immediately in front of you. We don't think about heaven enough. And I think oftentimes we think of heaven in a distorted way. We think it's just going to be a 24 7 church service that's going to bore us to death. I promise you this. Heaven will not be boring. We don't ponder it enough. And that's the point that Paul's trying to help us see. This is the very key to not losing heart. The fallen nature and the fallenness of humanity, they have a way of oppressing us, they cause us to waste away. Those things are all around us, they are very visible, and we see them. All the time. Sometimes we have seen it so often we become numb to it. Paul's saying don't focus on it. If you do, it's going to lead to despair. Hey, look to the unseen. Look to the eternal. I think that is exactly what John was working at doing while he sat in prison. John could have looked at many others to try to find comfort and many other places to try to find answers. But he knew that the only place to find true help, to find real peace, to confront his doubts was to go where? Was to go to Jesus. Are we to look for another? No. There is... There is no other Savior. There is no other name under heaven given by men whereby whereby we must be saved. We look only to Him. We look only to His grace. I've been there. I've been in those moments where I face depression. I face doubts. And the reality is this is a daily Battle. When you battle daily, this then has to become a part of your daily routine. I love going back to John fifteen five. It's just a constant great reminder for me and kind of, in a way, a life verse. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But get this, apart from me you may do nothing. We can't possibly know who we are without knowing him. His will without listening to him or our path without following him. This is a battle we have to win daily. How do you stay renewed daily? Well, I I love listening to great preaching. I enjoy great friendships. There are a lot of great books I enjoy reading. I love things like... This, where we get together on a weekly basis and we can worship together and we can encourage one another. But I've also learned that no one can actually depend on someone else's spiritual vitality for their own sustenance. Hebrews 11, that you'll pick back up even next week, gives us glimpses of all these great people of faith and how they exhibited Their faith, and they're a great reminder and exciting pictures to look at, and can motivate us in the way that we walk through life. We can admire the faith of the previous generation, but we cannot claim it as our own. We have to prepare and learn to live this for ourselves. In every season, that I've faced increased responsibility. I've tried to learn and try to adjust my life to add a new discipline to my life in the midst of that. One of the disciplines I constantly come back to on a regular basis is just going through the Lord's Prayer. I want to show you how I engage the Lord's Prayer. May this be a tool maybe for you to use when it comes to this daily battle. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first word that stands out to me is that we have to remember. If you're taking notes, just write the word remember. We have to remember and see God for who he really is. It's learning to turn our eyes upon Jesus. See, the reward of prayer is not getting what we want. The, re- the, the reward of prayer is God. The opportunity to know him better, to experience him, to to understand his character, to live by his character and learn to live by his priorities. We have to sit back and we need to remember, who is he? The second word is surrender. Surrender. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to practice daily uh, this posturing of ourselves where we learn to surrender our will to his will. And this is a struggle. It's a struggle for me at times because I don't always like where he wants to take me. Because sometimes it means I have to walk through seasons of pain. I had an injury 6 years ago that put me in the bed for 12 weeks. Of 12 weeks bedridden, I actually preached in my last church for 2 months from a wheelchair. I live in chronic pain as a result of that. And God's taken me through a journey to realize that, you know, pain isn't actually a bad thing. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we get this this message that he talks about the fact that it is in our pain that God brings us comfort. So that we can bring comfort to others in the midst of their pain. And what I came to realize is that without pain, we never come to understand the comfort of God. And I don't know about you, I want to know that side of who God is. But there's only one way to get there, and it's going to be through pain. And so part of the journey, we have to learn to surrender who we are and our desires and our will and our values at the feet of who he is and what he's doing. The third word is trust. Why this is important is because faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Trust. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's about provision, physical, spiritual. This is a place of a relational power. See, worry, money, lust, pride, they have a way of taking away our trust and our understanding of who God is and his provision for our lives. The fourth word is follow. Follow. Lead me not into temptation. In other words, we have to learn to say to ourselves, God, you lead, I follow. This is a preparation of our heart to walk through my day on a regular basis. Remember, surrender, trust, and follow. Don't lose heart. You can do this. All of his strength, his wisdom is available to you. The only other option for us is to lose our passion, is to lose our focus, is to lose our way. If we're going to stay on mission, it begins here. And it goes here. When you see how John the Baptist's life finished off shortly after this moment, everything in us and i'm sure even his own friends his disciples in that moment my guess is they just wanted to cry out and go meaningless 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 this wasn't the way it was supposed to end except for one thing we've learned to look to the unseen we've heard god say in second corinthians 4:17 This too, this seemingly irrational, pointless, meaningless murder of a great man is actually preparing, or in other words, producing for him an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all of our understanding. It wasn't meaningless. At the moment, eternity is changed. A special, particular weight of glory was forged for John the Baptist forever. And so it will be for you. So don't lose heart. Look to the unseen, the eternal weight of glory, day by day, and be renewed. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your incredible goodness and your grace, that you're a God that has reached down from heaven and touched us. God, the, the world in which we live, and you have fully experienced it, is hard. There's challenges that are unique to each and every person in the room, and sometimes they cause us to lose heart. God, I pray that in those moments where our belief is weak, I pray that you would help us with our unbelief. Walk with us. Bring people to encourage us. Guide us. May we look to you for answers nowhere else. In your mighty name, amen.